Good to see all of you here today. Thank you for coming. How many still don't have any electricity at home? Everybody's up and running. Wonderful. Don't you just love it when somebody comes up and says, hot enough for you? Well, what is it? No, really, my, my, my best temperature is about, a, about 30 degrees hotter than what it is right now. About 134 suits me pretty good. <laughs> oh, yes. By the way, um, has everybody here met Charlotte Marie Bird? Some of you may not know, but my parents had two boys. Don and I had two boys. Brian and Michelle had two boys. Nathan and Jolene had one boy. And lo and behold, here the Lord dropped a little girl in our family. Isn't that wonderful? So we are very pleased, very, very excited about her, and uh, as we are all three of the the boys, but uh, this is going to be a little new wrinkle, a little new ordeal, and uh, we are just enjoying it immensely. Amen. Well, the Lord, He is good. Amen. Amen. And His mercy endureth forever. I'm really glad for that, aren't you? His mercy endureth forever. We are continuing today the study in the book of Luke. And we have quite a subject here today, a very big subject. I, um, I hope I can cover it in the next couple hours or so. <laughs> I think I can, believe me. <laughs> if not, you'll catch it next time around, right? <laughs> but we're looking today at the 14th chapter of the book of Luke. And uh, I, I want to go ahead here at the outset and read the, the text to kind of give you an idea of what we are looking at. Luke 14, 1. And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering, spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. Our subject matter today is Phariseeism which is synonymous with with legalism. Let me ask you, has anybody here ever bumped into a Pharisee? You haven't? I am one. Well, you're going to get nailed today, brother. (laughs) I'm going to nail you. Probably most of us have. Now, um, to, to totally define Phariseeism, um, this has probably been longer ago than what I think it has because I'm at a stage in my life that time just goes like this. 
And I think something's been a year ago, and it might have been five years ago. You know, that's just, just the way life is today. But a pretty good representation of Phariseeism was the church lady. How many know the church lady? Could it be Satan? <laughs> now, I'm not a, a watcher of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> However, from time to time, in fact, when I think of it and I'm up and all of that, I will tune in to the first segment, that funny skit stuff that they do. They have a lot of good, funny political satire, and they have a lot of things. And therefore, how many years ago has that been? It's been quite a while now, hasn't it? How long? The 80s? No. <laughs> but it seems like only yesterday. <laughs> but uh, you all know the church lady that was just so self-righteous and so holier than thou. And Pharisees looked down their, their nose at uh, practically everybody and everything. They're legalistic. They have a set of rules that must be abided by, and if they abide by those, anything else goes. It doesn't matter your motives, doesn't matter your heart, anything else, just as long as you keep a strict legal rules, then um, that's, that's the life of a legalist. We saw something that uh, would kind of coincide with that just, just this week, when Thomas Lopez, a lifeguard in Florida, saved a person's life from drowning. Have you heard about this story? And he was fired for doing so. He lost his job for saving a person's life that was in trouble in the water and was about to drown. Do you, do you know why he was fired? He was fired because the area of the beach that he was to watch had certain restrictions, certain perimeters this person was beyond his designated area. And he saw a man flailing out in the water, and he went and crossed over into another area and pulled the man to safety, and he got fired because of it. Why? Because he was supposed to stay within these boundaries. Now, isn't that just... And then later... They did offer him his job back after such an uproar, and he said, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> to Pharisees, the keeping of rules takes precedent over everything. There is no give. There is no mercy. And probably one of the best scriptural references to, to signify this is the lady that was caught in the act of adultery. Now, you, you will remember how that she was brought to Jesus. And they said, the law of Moses said that she should be stoned. What say you? And of course, Jesus looked at them and said, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then there's been much, um, much wondering, much uh, supposition as to what Jesus wrote when he bowed down to the ground and he wrote something in the sand. But when he did that, all of those self-righteous Pharisees that were going to be so strict, that were going to be so hard, that were going to be so self-righteous, 
against this lady who had without a doubt sinned. But then she, when Jesus rode in the ground and that he got up, her accusers vanished and they left. Let he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Jesus looked at the lady and said, Lady, where are thine accusers? I have none, Lord. And then I love what he said. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Pharisees are outwardly moral. They are zealous. They are religious. The Pharisees of that day believed in the resurrection, what was a, which was a good thing. But they added to the law of God their own traditions, their own laws, their own rules, their own regulations. The Bible says that they were a people who worshipped him with their lips, but their heart is far from him. In the book of Matthew, chapter 15 and, and verse 8, it says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now, if you've been around churches much at all, you know that there are many, many denominations that kind of wiggle in along with the word, their own traditions, their own deal. All of the churches that we see today probably have their own little niche of something that they believe, of something that they think is necessary. That's the reason that church exists. Uh, many times they've pulled off from another church because you don't see it like we do. We believe this, we believe that. You got to do wine for communion. No, you got to do grape juice for communion. And just the, the list is just absolutely endless of things that certain people, certain denominations, certain churches hold, hold to. And they don't make it, um, you know, they make it an absolute that this is necessary for salvation. This is uh, something that has to be done. So hypocrisy is the hallmark of Phariseeism. They are hypocrites. They say one thing, but yet they do another. They appear to be outwardly moral, but inwardly not so. Jesus looked at them one day and said, You may clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside you're full of extortion, excess, and dead men's bones. I have known a lot of church ladies in my life. And they're mean outfits. There's nothing Christ-like about them. Although, hmm. You know what I'm talking about, I'm sure. Matthew 23 and verse 4. Says, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. The phylacteries were little pouches 
that they would stuff commandments in and they would stuff their traditions in. Sometimes they would wear them around their forehead so everybody could see how much they loved the commandments of God and, and their own commandments. Or they'd strap them to their arm and then make these things real big because, oh boy, I'm really super spiritual. I got a lot of commandments here that I hold on to and I keep. But all their works to be seen of men. And love the uppermost rooms of feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings of the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Lay heavy burdens upon men. How opposite from Jesus. Jesus said, come and follow me. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burdens are light. Pharisees make it tough to get into heaven. Pharisees make it hard to be saved. Not only did they bind with heavy burdens, but they were full of arrogance. They loved to be noticed. They loved to be seated in the places of honor. They loved titles. Rabbi, Rabbi. So self-righteous. So holier than thou. So better than anybody else. And you know, if we bring that down today, I've known a lot of people in my life that have wanted so much to have a title. I want to be this. You need to make me a director of this. You need to make me a director of that. How about just doing the work of the Lord and not worrying about the title that comes along with it? Wouldn't that be a better idea? Not worry about what position, not worrying about what else, not worrying about uh, who gets the credit, not worrying about to make sure that we, we are seen every time we do a little something, just do the work of the Lord, and that that we do in secret, the Bible says that he will reward us openly. Amen. Phariseeism or legalism has, has two big problems. One is that it engenders pride and a pharisaical attitude. And pride is one of the seven things that the Bible tells us that God hates. Pharisees think that they deserve a gold star. They think they are better than anybody else. They look down their nose at anybody that doesn't meet their standards. They uh, think of themselves as being more spiritual, <clears throat> more devote. More, more devout, I should say. Um, we have a scriptural reference that tells us about the Pharisee who said, oh, I thank my God I'm not like that person. And uh, all, all of this and that. And then the publican over there beating his breast said, oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Bible tells us that that publican went away justified much more so than the self-righteous Pharisee. Have you ever known a spooky Christian Spooky Christians are spooky. They're kind of kind of scary. You know, they kind of live out there in some ozone somewhere. Ooh, just kind of real, real out there. Just always, always seeing a devil behind every bush. And, um, you know, half of our problem isn't the devil. And most of it's just us. It's the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Those things that we all have to contend with. That if we would just submit our will to God... He will take care of all of that for us. So it engenders, Phariseeism engenders pride. 
it engenders arrogance. And uh, another bad thing that it does is that it creates doubt in the heart of the believer. You see, Pharisees think that they will be saved by good works. Maybe you have heard people say, oh, I think I'll make it because my good outweighs my bad. You've heard that before. My good outweighs my bad. I do more good things than I do bad things. So I, I think the scale something like this. So certainly I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear him say, well done. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song that said, heaven is a holy place filled with glory and with grace. Sin can never enter there. So if at the judgment bar sinful spots your soul shall mar, you can never enter there. So it's not, we can have a whole bunch of good things and maybe fewer sins that's going to do the trick. The Lord is able to make us blameless before him. And he has washed us and cleansed us with his blood to make us free from sin, from our past, from our present and our future. And if we mess up and we foul up, as many of us do all the time, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us of all of that mess. Amen. You get into the, when you think that you are saved by works, it creates doubt. And then you get thinking, how much is enough? I have heard older people say, Well, I hope I've been good enough. It saddens me to hear that. And I'm kind enough not to say it. But when I hear that, I think, well, you haven't been. A man told me a few months ago of his father-in-law, who was the general superintendent of a very large organization for many, many years. When he came to the point of death. He said, well, I hope I've done enough. I hope I've done enough. That's the idea of a pharisaical attitude. You know, in this capitalistic society, the more you do, the more you get. And so that transfers over into into the spiritual realm sometimes. You think if I strive and if I do this and if I keep that and if I do good and do all kinds of good works, then that's going to be accounted to me for righteousness sake. But that, that is not the way that it is. There used to be a song that was sung in many mission services and it was a good song. It was it kind of tugged on your heart. It would say, oh, Calvary, Calvary, please won't you speak to me? Tell me how much I owe, I want to repay. Kind of a good, good thought. And everybody would offer themselves to be missionaries and I'm willing to do this and I'm willing to go across the pond and I'm willing to, to sacrifice and this because I want to repay you for Calvary. Ain't no way. Then another song comes, I'm full of songs today, aren't I? Another song comes to mind that says, Oh, it wouldn't be enough. Oh, it wouldn't be enough to buy one splinter of the cross that Jesus died on. You know what? There's nothing that we can do to buy one drop of that precious blood that he shed on Calvary for our sins. It doesn't matter if we give our bodies to be burned. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how holy we are, how many good works we do. There is nothing that can compare to the sacrifice that he gave for us. 
By grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. There are still some pretty strong pockets of Phariseeism out there. But you know what? I really, truly feel that it's on the wane. I don't believe that Phariseeism is as strong today as it has been at times in the past. Life has a way of putting things into perspective. I've known a lot of hard preachers of my day. Maybe a little pharisaical. You know the thing that changes them? Their kids. <laughs> kids can just knock a hole in all your self-righteous stuff. You know that? <laughs> I've seen preachers line their little kids up, you know, 8, 10, 12 years old. Oh, this is my family. They all love Jesus. They all love God. Here's the patriarch and the matriarch of the family. All of their children, all of their grandchildren are serving the Lord. If you're going to do that kind of bragging, you better do it when they're about 10 years old. Because <laughs> you never know what that nice little Johnny and that sweet little Sally, they might turn out hell on wheels in a few years. So that kind of tempers the whole deal. I've known a preachers be hard as nails on people for doing things, and then their little kids get there, and they want to do it. Well, maybe it's not quite as bad as we thought it used to be. <laughs> Life has a way of tempering us. Life has a way of bringing us to reality. Life has a way of stripping us of everything that we shouldn't have until we get down to the basis of the whole matter. Phariseeism is pretty easy to spot. It has its own odor, and that is that it stinks. However, there's something that to me is perhaps just as dangerous, maybe even more so in this day, than Phariseeism. Pharisees will have it coming to them. Pharisees will get, get knocked around and all of that. But the thing that in this day, in the 21st century, the thing that I am more concerned about than I am Phariseeism is what I call reverse Phariseeism. There's another side to that Pharisee coin, and that is reverse Phariseeism. What is that? Reverse Phariseeism is when nothing matters. Anything and everything goes. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter how you walk. It, all of these things, they're just legalistic rules. Because legalism is so bad, we get to the point where if there are any restrictions upon the life of a Christian, we want to throw off and say, oh, that's just a bunch of Phariseeism, and that doesn't amount to We don't have to abide by that. We're under grace today. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Those that are into reverse Pharisee, Phariseeism think that one can carry this devoted life too far. 
that God doesn't care about how we live, how we think, what we do. Come on now, we're not part of the dark ages. This is not the middle ages. This is the 21st century. That is true. But you see, the God of heaven is the same yesterday. He's the same today. He is the same forever. And his word does not change. His word will not change. I am the Lord your God and I change not. I am appalled by times when I see some of the things that we have allowed to be drug into the church. We need to live a separated life, a godly life, a holy life that is separated and dedicated unto the Lord. There was a time that God winked at ignorance, winked at sin, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. A reverse Pharisee person says, whatever, just, just no real true moral compass, no foundation, no guidelines in your life, just, well, if it feels good, do it. Donna and I attended the wedding a couple weeks ago of a young lady that um, about a year ago she moved in with her boyfriend. They were engaged, but they moved in together. And I know her well enough that I could do this. I said, Bree, I'm very disappointed that you've moved in with Adam before getting married. She goes to church every Sunday, does all of that. You know what she told me? God and I have an agreement. Say what? (laughs) An agreement. Well, let me tell you. Bree and God didn't have no agreement. What she thought and what she rationalized and what she made herself believe didn't amount to that much. Because this book says not to do that. And God will never make an agreement with anybody who goes against his word. Duh! Hello? I mean, after all, is God going to say, you know what? I think I'll just make an exception for you. We all think we're God's special kid and he'll make exceptions for all of us, don't we? You know, well, I know that applies to everybody else, but I've known you for a long time. And I remember when you were a little kid, you were pretty good. Everybody else was so ornery and you, you were a pretty good little kid. So I'm going to make a little exception for you. You, you know, it, you know, you're going to be married in a year anyway. Go ahead. Oh boy. But that is the mindset of our generation. That is the mindset of people today that it doesn't matter anymore. That we can live however we want to live. That we can live in sin. That we can do all of those things. Here's another song. (laughs) Remember this one? This one and the spiritual one. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. (laughs) Really now? Well, there will come a time that you'd rather be right than have all that loving believe me I was saying you know Kevin I saw you strumming this guitar today 
<laughs> you know, I hope that, this is just a little thrown in, okay? I hope that we don't get away from the awesomeness of the things of God and the sacredness of the things of God. Those guitars, these instruments, those guitars, they're strummed to music that praises the Lord. That's not Willie Nelson's guitar. That, that guitar is not playing to all the girls I've loved before. No, th- this is playing things to the Lord. A building, yes, this is just a building, but it's more than a building. It's been dedicated. It's been consecrated. It's been set aside as a place of proclamation for the name of the Lord, where his people come together to fellowship and to worship him. It's different than a skating rink down the street someplace. This is the house of God. We respect the house of God. We honor the house of the Lord. We behave ourselves in in the house of God. And we teach our children to honor the things of the Lord. So all of this, Phariseeism, reverse Phariseeism, all of this mumble-jumble, what's right, what, it begs the question, how then should we live? How should we conduct ourselves in this day? There seem to be two extremes. One is everything's wrong. I've known churches, friend, that if it was fun, it was wrong. If it was fun, it was wrong. <laughs> I'll share this with you. <laughs> I knew of a church one time. Now, this goes way back when putt-putt golf first came out. Putt-putt golf. And uh, anything out there was considered to be a worldly thing. You didn't know whether that was an all right thing to participate in or whether, whether or not. So the young people of that church asked the pastor, would it be all right? You know, you, you ask everything. You didn't just haul off and go do something. You, you got permission. Bless God. Hallelujah. <laughs> so the young people thought that'd be a good thing to do. Go, go miniature golfing. But they knew they dare not do it on their own without getting the pastor's permission. Oh, have those days changed. And so the pastor, he thought about it for a while and he kind of contemplated and got that real spiritual look. Well, I'll tell you what. If you pray for as long as it takes you to play that round of miniature golf, it'd probably be okay. (laughs) Pretty pharisaical, wouldn't you think? So that's one extreme, where if it's fun, it's wrong, or else if, if it's kind of borderline and you go ahead and, and, and do it, then you've got to make up for it by doing something else like praying for 30 minutes, oh God, to overcome whatever it was that you did. So that's one extreme, everything is wrong. The second extreme is nothing is wrong. Nothing is wrong. And I'll tell you what, I'm more concerned about that today than I am the other one. I'm more concerned about nothing is wrong. Anything goes. Everything goes. 
So what are we faced with? We are faced with moral absolutes. There are some absolutes in this life. There are some absolutes in walking with God. There are things that you do. There are things you do not do if you're a Christian that will never change. The Ten Commandments are as relevant today as they were the day that God took his finger and wrote them in tablets of stone. And they will never change. And you can read about them in Exodus chapter 20. So we have moral absolutes. And then we have personal convictions. The Bible, if you look at Romans 14, I'm not going to take the time to read these scriptures because we're, we're moving along. But in Romans 14, it deals with that. Some will esteem one day above another. Some will eat meat, some won't eat meat. It says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. You see, there are some things that are personal convictions. But this is kind of surprising too. The Bible calls the rigid one, the Bible calls the legalistic one, the weak brother. The one that is so strong and so rigid and so unmovable. The Bible says that he is, is the weak brother because he thinks that all of this keeping of rules and keeping of regulations is what it takes to be pleasing unto the Lord. In our walk with the Lord, there can be room for some differences. The Bible says that we are to work out our own salvation. But then it goes a little further than that and it tells us how. With fear and with trembling. In other words, we gotta, we got to be serious about it. We've we got to be we got to be honest about it. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Lord, how should I conduct my life? How, how should I live? You know why? Because really, folks, our eternal soul is at stake. It's not to be taken lightly. Let me give you some good advice. And that is never try to downplay, make fun of, or try to talk people out of their personal convictions. If there's something that a person feels sincerely, genuinely before the Lord in a way that they should conduct their lives, don't make fun of that. Don't ridicule that. On the other hand, if you are a person who holds to a, maybe a little stricter code in some areas, or you feel a particular conviction about certain things, then do not insist that everyone else abide by your personal conviction. I, I think this is a very good test for us as Christians. When there are things that might be somewhat questionable, when, when there are things that we wonder about, a good guideline, a good test would be is this particular activity in my life representative of what a Christian should be? If people see me involved in this, if people see me, if people see me acting like this, would they categorize me as being a Christian? Folks, we can, we, we can, we can get around, we can try to wiggle around some things all we want. But there are some things that if we participate in, they just don't speak of Christianity. 
Just don't speak of Christianity. L- let me give you a, um, an example. You know, it hasn't been all that long ago that there were a good number of churches that really thought that you should never go to what was then called the picture show. No, you can't go to a picture show. That's bad. Is there anything wrong with a picture show? No. But let me tell you something. It depends on what you see when you go to the picture show. Just because you can see, just because you can do those things, it doesn't mean that you ought to be able to go and see anything and everything that's flashed on the Hollywood screen. There are some things acceptable. There are some things not acceptable. There are some things that that we should not feast our mind on. There are some things that we should not allow to get into our heart. So that's, that's some of those areas where we have just, you know, we've gotten away from the legalistic thing. But yet have we gone too far that anything and, and everything goes. With this activity, could it possibly call, cause someone to stumble? Would they think me a hypocrite or would Christ be pleased? How am I representing Christ? We are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. Are we good ambassadors? Is it always recognizable whose side we're on? Or do we kind of blur the line by times? As a boy, from that time until this time, I have seen lives totally changed. 180 degree total turnaround. I've seen folks delivered. I'm talking about delivered who were bound from sin and from habits and to addictions. I hope that we haven't come to the place where we repeat what is called the sinner's prayer and think that that's all that there is to it. Yes, Lord, I believe. Okay, got that taken care of and that's out of the way. No, friend. It's a whole lot more than that. This gospel is a revolutionized gospel. This gospel is not bad news. The gospel means good news. It means good news. The, the, the Christian life is not something that's hard to live. No, it's something that he will free you to live the way that, that we ought to live. So let's not drag the world into the church. We are to be obedient, and he'll change our lives. It was so wonderful, what, a few weeks ago to see, was it 11 souls baptized? Mole, it was good to see you baptized, buddy. Mole used to play for the other team. Mole, I hear that you used to be an all-star on that team. And now you're on the on God's squad. Now you're on God's team. Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful what the Lord can still do in the life of an individual? Amen. He'll turn you around. He'll clean you up. Things that you used to love, you don't love anymore. Things that you used to hate, you, you now love. That's what our, our God can do. 
And I want you to know today that he's still in the life-changing business. If you're here today and you're bound by sin, if you've tried to live a good life and you just haven't been able to do it, I want you to know there's a man called Jesus that can set you free of all of your sin, that can turn your life around and he can empower you. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. People have questions as to how, how we should live. My, my, my. The Bible is, is simply just full of that. Philippians 4 and 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Moderation. Moderation. How should a Christian conduct themselves? Should we be modest in everything? Do we have to dress like the Amish? No. But neither should we dress, if you're a woman, like you work at Hooters. Let your moderation be known of all men. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, all of those things. The Bible says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be acceptable in thy sight, O God. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The psalmist said, I will set no evil thing before my eyes. We're told to walk circumspectly, which means that we walk prudently, that we are aware. We are aware of life's consequences and a life lived in sin. Colossians 3, 2, set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. Verse 5, mortify therefore your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now you've put off all of these things. How should we live? You've put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. There are all kinds of guidelines if we get our nose in the book as to how we are to conduct our life. And it affects our everyday life, our everyday living Verse 17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father. Boy, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. We're hurrying on now. (laughs) Somebody needs to hang out there a little while. Husbands, love your wives. 
and be not bitter against them. I read this this week where Benjamin Franklin said that he had been married so long that if his wife had any faults, he was so used to them that he no longer perceived them. <laughs> Maybe we can, we can get to, to that point. I want to read just a few more scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, and every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lust, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without that ye may have lack of nothing verse 5 chapter or chapter 5 verse 12 we beseech you brethren to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves you see, this is just stuff, it, it, it's there. It just tells us how to live. It tells us how to act. It tells us how, how we should be. We exhort you, brother, warn, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient. Ooh, be patient toward all men. Anybody having trouble with that? That's a hard one. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. What's that, what's that deal? I don't get mad, I get even. <laughs> See that none render evil for evil unto inner man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. I heard recently, and I'm, I'm hurrying to a close, I, I heard recently of a minister's conference where an appeal was made for ministers to come forward who have lost faith in the gospel. And what the, what the man was saying was, if you're someone who you've, you've preached, you've labored, but you don't seem to be getting the results, it doesn't seem to be working, you're just kind of wondering about, all, is this really do what it says it will do? Then we want you to come forward. You know, the, the more I thought about that, the more, the more shocked I was. If a preacher feels that way, if he's lost faith in the gospel, I got some advice as to what he should do. He should go paint houses or sell cars or sell shoes or do something else. And if that has happened, there's one of two reasons why it has happened. Number one, he has failed to declare the whole gospel, the life-changing gospel. The powerful gospel. He has failed to proclaim that you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And secondly, he has seen weak, anemic conversions that are spoken with the mouth, with the repeating of a sinner's prayer that does nothing to change the inside of a man until he humbles himself and seeks after the Lord. 
I'm afraid that the church today in many areas are getting sidetracked. We have one mandate, and that is to preach the gospel to every preacher creature. Now, should we do good work? Should we help the poor? Should we be in favor of social justice? And should we try to make our world a better place to live? Oh, yes. But let me tell you something. We can do all of those things, but until a man or woman is changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not going to be long-lasting. But I contend, and I submit to you today, that if we can preach this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, that if we can tell people that regardless what you've done, that there's a God that loves you, that he loved you enough that he shed his blood and he gave his life, and he wants to save you. And if we can get authentic, true conversions, and people will start to live after and follow after the Lord, I'll tell you all of this other stuff will fall in place, and it will line up. I have seen people come to the Lord from all walks of life. I've seen pitifully poor people. I've seen all kinds of people come to God, and when they start putting him first in their life, then God takes care of all the other stuff, and he brings them out of poverty. He brings them out of sin, and he gives them something worth living for. I'm afraid that we're more concerned about folks' earthly situation than we are their eternal situation. This gospel works. This gospel works. Jason, if you'd come with the music folks. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I, I don't know even how those guys caught that lady in the act of adultery. I'm a, but they sure did. And the Bible says that Jesus, when, when, he, when he had the man there with the dropsy, they, they watched him. They were just hoping to catch him, catch him in something, something that they could criticize. I, I don't want to be a legalist. I don't want to be saved by works. We're, we're not that. But neither do I want to go to the other extreme and say nothing, nothing matters, nothing counts. It doesn't matter how we live, because it does. In Christ alone, I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory, let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. Would you stand?